spend a lot of time thinking about materials and objects as they relate to art and art making. And I spent a fair bit of time talking about it with John. In this conversation, we're talking about some of our first memories of art and of objects that we somehow recognized as special. We also talk about how the contrast between the refinement of Europe and the chaos of India in John's childhood contributed to and maybe even directly informed the type of work that he produces decades later. I'm Jeffrey Sidoris. I'm talking to John Wilkening, and this is In Between. It looks like you could be standing in in the lobby of a Dairy Queen and looking across the street at a Civil War cemetery, which is oh yeah, kind of strange, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it you know because you know most of the if you want to say Gettysburg proper, most of the battlefield was like south and a little bit. Mm, northwest of the town mm-hmm. so basically is almost like the battle battlefields were surrounding most of this town interesting um, so uh, you know you definitely there's different monuments built there's different things built um there's there's one of those like you could i'm not sure if it's a podcast now when i was a kid it was like almost like a like a CD you put in your CD player mm-hmm. where it's like physical like media. What's tour. that? I know, <laughs> you know, but it was like an audio tour. So right. when you're driving through there and you had each one of the audio stops and they're like, okay, this is, this is how the battle battle went here. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's definitely weird, you know. Doesn't it seem like, and and maybe this is a gross generalization, just it probably is just based on my experience, but it, it seems like museums and galleries, well, let's say museums primarily because that's what I'm most familiar with here in D.C., they haven't quite caught up to the available technology in terms of how they're, they still feel like a step behind, if that makes sense, in in mm-hmm. terms of of you know audio tours or uh, proximity to uh, to different pieces of work that then trigger, to your point, trigger audio cues or even using QR codes for for more detail around a piece or an exhibit. It just it seems like. And, and maybe it's because some of these museums, the exhibits are so old or, or the, the, I don't know, maybe it's, it's just their way of doing things has been set in stone for so long that it's harder to shift that technological sort of bubble. But it seems like they're still a step behind. Uh, I, would, I would completely agree with that. And... I think some of it gets down to almost like the, there's so much that could be done with technology to sort of break down the barriers between the general public and the art. Mm-hmm. Because like part of the struggle, I think, is understanding why a piece of art is important. 
Absolutely. Why, why it's in the museum. Right. Rather than just you know? telling you, you need to see this. Yeah. 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 And there's, it almost in some ways becomes like a big class thing, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, oh, you, like, you take like a, I mean, uh, like a coal miner. I'll just pick the most stereotypical blue collar job. And you stand. You could have gone with railroad worker, given my family history, man. (laughs) I didn't want to make it personal. Thanks for the slight. (laughs) (laughs) But you 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 plop them in front of like a Rothko or a Pollock, and not to diminish any of their work, but on face value, they're they're (laughs) like that type of work can be difficult to understand well it can be difficult to understand at any level but yes i I take your point and i I had conversations like that with my dad my whole life Mm -hmm. you know uh what is what is the nature of art and and why is this important and what does it mean i mean we I, i call them discussions they they weren't really discussions. <laughs> I mean, you know some of the stories. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the I mean. Discussion notes. Yeah. Sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conversation, respect for the other person, all of that <laughs> didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, it, how do you, how do you communicate something that's, that's hard to communicate to people who've had very little exposure very little interest and don't really maybe see how art affects or is important to culture at large. How do you, how do you explain that? Yeah. But like, it's one of those, that's such a difficult sort of endeavor, but Mm -hmm. I also think it's probably one of the most meaningful endeavors that a museum has. Like, it to me when I think of a museum, I think of it as a twofold responsibility. Mm-hmm. One is obviously to protect the art for the future, right? So that it exists in a in a viewable way for the future. But it's also, I think, is almost not guardians of culture, but like it should be a place to 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 create like expand people's understanding and respect for the arts mm-hmm. well and i think museum attendance is is showing that there's a disconnect you know i've mm-hmm. talked to enough people within the organizations here to get a little bit of an understanding that there is this sort of preacher pulpit mentality that a lot of the museums take where we're going to tell you what you need to learn or we're going to tell you what's important, but we're not going to fill in those gaps of context or we're not going to tell you, to your point, why these things matter, why they're important, how they're connected to other pieces. And that's where something like I'm so grateful to have my friend Michelle, who works at the National Gallery, as not only one of my friends, but whenever I go to, like if she'll invite me down and say, oh, you got to come see this, she'll walk me through an exhibit giving me this personal sort of 
experience of, okay, here's why this is important. Oh, and then this is related to this, and this was created here, and then there's a reference to this here. So there are all of those gaps that get filled in. And further, I can ask questions if there's something missing for me personally, and she's able to answer those things. And I think that kind of experience would be and I, I get that you can't do it for everyone walking through the door, but that kind of more personal sort of tailored experience would increase engagement dramatically to the mm-hmm. average goer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like from a personal level as, as art has in some ways gone more abstract I I personally struggle understanding some of the art. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like I would probably say that I'm I'm more familiar with art than the average bear as they would say. Right. But like I'll stand in some pieces and I go it's a pile of trash. Yeah. yeah. And like yeah. And, and I mean literally yeah. I don't mean <laughs> Yeah, that's not an opinion piece. <laughs> no. No, and and it's one of those where, like, even when I read the blurb and f- next to it, I'm st- I'm even more confused. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where I obviously don't have no intention of almost putting down the artist. I want art like that to exist mm-hmm. because it will spawn other art and like keep the conversation moving forward right but at the same time i'm like i i I don't get it you know at least you know certain pieces you go okay like that moves me in in enough of a way that i like i may not understand it but i get it like Mm -hmm. i'm affected by it in some way Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and i think that's where it, especially as the barriers to technology have become so low. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, everyone has, or nearly everyone has, a, a like a phone, basically a walking computer. Right. Where it's like, hey, when you purchase, take, like, go on, visiting the, hey, bring your headphones and you can go to this address and based off of this, we'll sit there and walk you through right. all that stuff. Right. You know, and, and explaining that, I think that would go miles to, because it's almost like, it almost right now, especially in high art, it seems almost like a club mm-hmm. that you have to join. Or like, you know, one of those, like you just, you have, you have, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you're part of the others. Right. Yeah. You're out of the loop somehow. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, just not to switch the conversation, yeah, slightly, no, but do you remember the first experience of yourself walking in like as a kid in a museum? In a museum? Yes. Vividly. It was uh, the Tutankhamun exhibit at uh, L.A. County Museum of Art. Uh, it was a traveling exhibit of, uh, of King Tut's tomb, and we went as a field trip, and I was in, I don't remember what grade I was in, but it was in grade school. Do you remember exactly why that was such a vivid experience? 
I think uh, part of it was trying to wrap your young mind around something, a, a collection of things that are thousands of years old. I don't think I really quite understood, you know, timelines. And you think about something that, that that's, you know, decades old. Okay, you can you can kind of wrap your head around that. Maybe even hundreds. You know, okay, maybe, but thousands of years. That was a that was and and thousands of years old, and they were these beautifully intricate and precisely carved objects that mm-hmm. it just they weren't just sort of arrowheads, you know, or or you know, uh, primitive sculpture. I mean, these were, there was a, a degree of, of polish and finesse and the materials that were used, you know, the gold and the lapis lazuli and, and the jade and all that kind of thing. There was a richness to them, these artifacts that I hadn't experienced or those, at, the way I'm remembering it, I hadn't experienced before. And the volume of it, there was just so much stuff. And this was all in, you know, what they said was, it was all in one tomb, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was the, the the backstory and that made it even more uh, interesting. The curse and, and you know, Carter and Carnarvon, you know, breaking the seal and, and then the people surrounding the 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 uh, the dig started dying. And you're like, oh, my God, is the curse real? <laughs> you know, it's like so there was there was this whole sort of. Uh, you know, years before, but there was this whole Indiana Jones component to it that made it almost supernatural in a way. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. art and, and artifacts became my first experience with them. They became somehow transcendent of, of, you know, the human experience because of all of this sort of additional context and, and, and curses and mysticism and all that surrounding it. Mm, yeah yeah no that i i could totally see that yeah how about you what was your first so this is a slightly odd one but um when we lived in amsterdam Mm. and we'd go to church we would actually cut through the first floor of a museum oh really to get to the church yeah to cut between streets Hmm. and the the museum itself would be closed, but they would almost ha- they almost had a like a glass walkway to where on the other like the museum there's a glass wall that allows through traffic. Mm. So purpose but, built for shortcuts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but you could see the art on the other side because it's obviously glass, mm-hmm. and so we would cut through that that museum all the time. And so as a little kid, you get little glimpses of the pieces of art hanging on the wall. Hmm. And then you were always excited as a kid when they changed the art exhibit. Right. And it'd be something different. Did the glass affect your perception of it in terms of, was it somehow more special because it was behind glass? Did you, did that compute for you at that age? Uh, no, it, it was like from, it was more of annoyance because like as a kid, I wanted to go up close mm-hmm. and probably touch it, which is why they <laughs> you were that kid, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. Let's face it, you still are yeah. that kid. Go on. <laughs> oh, hundred <laughs> <laughs> uh, percent. I'm just glad I haven't sat on a ten thousand year old chair. Right, right. For a selfie. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so it was interesting because it was like, I'm trying, I'll, as I asked the question, I was thinking about sort of my answer and sort mm-hmm. of like how that, but it was always like one of those things where it was just part of your, your experience to where it was less of a like field trip. This is a special event. Mm-hmm. We're all, you know, you lived among take, it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was just part of your daily, you know, daily or weekly commute to church. Did you recognize those objects behind glass? Were they at that, at that time, were they important were they old? Were they special? How did, how did you perceive those objects? Um, I perceived them as being important mm-hmm. because they're on display. Mm. You know, it was one of those where it's obvious someone selected them to be there. Hmm. And but it, like it was, t- it wasn't. It was. It was more on the. Uh, not like modernist type art. So like there wasn't any Van Gogh's or any of that. Like that was all in the, was it that Reich's museum? Okay. Oh, there, um, that, those, when I went to that, that was way more of a like formal art experience, more traditional sense. Do, do you um, have an idea of or, or a memory of one of the first artists that you recognize by name or, or one of the first names that you can remember at, uh, being associated as as an artist? Would, would it have been somebody like a Van Gogh or a Picasso or something like that for you? Yeah, because like, you know, I mean, or Vermeer Van, or something. Yeah, the it was it was Van Gogh was definitely the top, you know, because you know it's 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 one of those things where it's hard to escape his influence in a country you know as small as holland mm-hmm. you know yes the dutch masters were also present but like you know your vermeers and so forth but it it was <laughs> it's one of those who van gogh is definitely king and you know there would be there would just be more more cultural references to where you you pick it up even if you're not you're not in a museum you know you're more likely to see you know starry night somewhere mm-hmm. may not be official reproduction but you know what i mean like the and like it was also interesting to be there and sort of like, you know, you'd be, if you lived in Holland, you're familiar with the countrysides that he often painted. You know, like the same when he painted like the Amsterdam. Like there, you know, you have a, it's a, it's almost like he painted a common language. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I know oh, this I know place. What, I've been yeah. here. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that was probably the the first the first time like first artist like i you know that you understand as an artist mm-hmm. and this was how old were you at this point 
I don't know. Yeah. Sub ten? Probably like yeah, so yeah, probably sub ten. Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, no, I it's funny, I remember the first time I saw Picasso's painting, I was like, What is this fool doing? <laughs> He's like, That's not <laughs> He's a He's got face. the ear in the totally <laughs> in the wrong spot. What's going on here? It's like like you can't get a face right, and then later <laughs> on you're like, Oh, <laughs> When you came back to the States, mm-hmm. how was your perception of art relative to Europe? Or how, I guess, how did art seem to be represented in terms of, of where and how it appeared in popular culture and how people related to it? Was, was that a, a big difference for you coming back from Europe where it would seem to be such a part of daily life? Or were you even um, aware of it at that point? I wasn't aware of it. I was more aware of just how young America was, hmm. you know, like, you know, I, I went my, that church that I would go to every week was built in the 16th century. Wow. And like, you know, the, the wooden benches are like, you know, worn where people sit. Right. Right. Cause they sat there for 400 years. Right. You know, and there, there's a weird uh, back to a sort of uh, notion of like places having essences, or I don't even know what how to describe it. Mm-hmm. But like they have something that is not represented by the physical space, and you know you, you know you're my day. Like we lived, I lived in a lot of a lot of time in in Amsterdam was living in sort of very downtown Amsterdam mm-hmm. and you know you're walking these cobblestone streets that you know obviously they've been repaired through the years but like they're for all intents and purposes these are the same streets right, right. that have existed for forever yeah you know and and there's there's a different feeling where where in the US like you you realize just how much of a modern creation much of the US is and I'm not mm-hmm. obviously I'm not knocking that from it is what it, like it is what it is right. but you know there's you know there there's just a difference so that when like you know, like even just going like I remember like when I was a young kid just seeing strip malls and just like the that seems like so odd like odd because there are these places that you required you to drive a period of time where all the star stores are congregated as opposed to stores just being embedded in, mm-hmm. in a community mm-hmm. you know they're like the grocery stores in Amsterdam were just literally, you know, they they fun, they work more like Trader Joe's where they're, they're buried inside weird spaces, right? And and part of the community, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was that that was the bigger feeling as opposed to just like art, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. There, there was a like from a architectural 
standpoint, it seemed like, you know, because of the age and sort of the craftsmanship that was, you know, building a house was such a big deal a hundred years ago, you know, 200 years ago, that there is a lot more, you made decisions in different ways and mm-hmm. you built it to last in different ways where, you know, I've worked in construction, I've slapped together, you know, these development houses. You, you, you know. framed a house in three days. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You know, it's one of those where once we get the foundation laid, the house just literally <laughs> seems to rise out of the ground, mm-hmm. you know, just by the, the speed at which it's done. It's it's fascinating to me that you had and were conscious of those experiences at such a young age. You know, I, I didn't leave the U.S. until uh, well, 2000 was the first time I ever went to Europe. And I went to Florence. And, and I, I had some of those similar types of experiences where you know, you're, you're walking in the footsteps of, of Dante or Da Vinci or, you know, Cosimo de' Medici. And, and there is, to your point, there is this, this sense of these places being imbued with something more than just marble and stone and, and clay, you know, and the idea that, you know, craftsman A worked his whole life on this five by five section of marble. And then that's it. That was his whole sort of professional construction life was just making that part. And then mm-hmm. typically his son took over and, you know, would continue on and do the next part. And these things, you know, rose into the sky over periods of of decades or centuries even. That part was a – it was a – almost a revelatory experience because it was so different than what I was used to. Yeah. And, and I think some of it, some of my experiences shaped with the, if you want to say three years in India Mm -hmm. where, where, you know, there is, and I don't mean this is like pejorative, but there was a, there's a sort of refinement in your, in Amsterdam. Mm hmm with all that spaces. And then when you get to India, it is just chaos and chaos of spaces, people, colors, smell, like every, every imagined senses is lit up Mm -hmm. the second you step foot in. in Right. 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 And do you have a memory of, of sort of time period, how long you were there before, that chaos kind of gave way to normal life where it wasn't such a surprise every time you, you know, went into a market or, or went out into the world from wherever it is that you lived. Um, there wasn't like a, a period, but it, it was probably about a year. Wow. Like, like where you're, and like, it's hard to say I ever was like hundred percent comfortable in mm-hmm. that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like, I was definitely, you know, like, I could navigate those those chaotic points. You know, it's weird. This is going to sound terrible. But, like, you have this, there's a definite moment where you all of a sudden realize that, like, 
you're not uh, as affected by the beggars. Hmm. You know, that sounds terrible to say out loud, but you know, is it, why is that? Is it because there's just so much of it or yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. There's okay. there, there's just a volume and, and particularly back in, in early nineties, the caste system was so prevalent in India mm-hmm. to where there wasn't this notion of like, Hey, get a job, right? Eat, like, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstrap, whatever right, right. that is. That wasn't an option. Th- that wasn't an option. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know, for those that don't, aren't familiar basically with a caste system and like you, if you're born into a particular, your occupation is based off of your family lineage and certain occupations, certain, there's certain hierarchies of caste and like the lowest being beggars and they're basically equivalent of uh, untouchables. Mm -hmm. Like you never marry below your caste. You, you never, you know, like if you're born a beggar, you'll stay a beggar. And like, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those weird, like it's heartbreaking. Right. But it, it was one of those where, especially as a kid, like there's just, there's just no, there's no way you can, you could do any, anything. Right. Yes. We, yes. We gave money, but like it, you get in these weird situations where there's 20 people trying to beg for, beg for money. If you give one person money, that person is immediately a target. Right. 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 <laughs> like, like it, it just, it just, yeah, it's just crazy. So, you know, there you get a you get a point where, you know, the extremes that of of Indian life sort of you become you become comfortable with the fact that it's 120 and crazy humidity. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, you you get comfort with the fact that like. There is noise coming from every part. Like there is not a quiet moment. Right. Ever. You know, you get, you know, like all these things. There's the bright, the colors. Like I don't think I've been in a, in a society that is as colorful as India. There's colors everywhere. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like you, you just sort of accept it after mm-hmm. a while, you know. It's, it's. Let me ask you something about that. D- does the color, does the color feel out of place, or does it feel necessary, given how much of the country lives? Um, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm trying yeah, to get yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel out of place. Mm-hmm. That's like. That thing I that's one thing I do know. It it feels like a natural out like manifestation of the resources and the availabilities of things that they have. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's sort of like um, it's meant to be a bad example, but like music in Latin cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just 
baked into society. Right, 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 at right. At such a level. Like, you know, you know, one of the craziest experiences is walking next to a flower vendor in India because um, you flowers are such a, such a big, important religious symbol. Mm-hmm. So there's these vendors that will almost like similar to Lay's, they'll make these like loops mm-hmm, of flowers. Mm-hmm. Like big garlands of them, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And you'll have, you'll, you know, imagine a giant, uh, I mean, as like, understand this perception from a kid. Right. So, but like this store that is just these burlap sacks of, Every imaginable flower hmm. just piled up in these, you know, and the fragrance coming off of them is like intoxicating. Like these are just, you know, normal sort of normal things. How you know? how did those things affect you? If you can if you can sort of verbalize it, how did those experiences affect you? relative to the art behind glass in Amsterdam was there was there more of a visceral reaction to one over the other or were they completely different types of experiences I think they're very different experiences where the art behind glass was like a a subtle, refined sort of like expression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, g- classic sort of like, think of it as like a classic royal party, you know, like everyone's in suit and tie. Mm-hmm. Their finest fine. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, you can't talk too loud because that's a sign of. <laughs> It, like rudeness and then yeah, <laughs> americanism yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly um and then and then the, the just the crazy expression is like uh i don't know like a college house party where it's just there's like you're just walking through like conversations and like everything's going on around you and there's like you know that where you feel almost in another world because it's such a like it's so hard to focus on one single thing but it the the biggest thing it's sort of i think i tapped into is just the being aware of the chaos of life and that energy that that is life Hmm. you know I actually, you know, I like being in, I like being in cities from time to time and just being on like a corner in New York and you get that same feeling Yeah, where there's like hundreds of people traveling in every direction. Right. You know. And that energy just vibrates through you, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 You know, and like every single person is on their own mission, you know completely independent of each other you know and and so i think i got a little more a little more conscious of that sort of energy and in some ways i probably look 
to find that energy a little more than the sort of austere sort of refined. Right, 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 right. Yeah, like uh, of that just because of like, you know, like imagine as a kid, like you want to be in that chaos, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that's the part that's like fun, you know. Well, it sounds like you recognized that about yourself pretty early on, that that sense of chaos almost gave you more fuel than than the more refined and I'm, i've got my air quotes elegance yeah 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 and you in the if you want to say i part of this comes from like because of my life experiences you know i've i would probably classify myself as an outsider to normal american life in a large ways and and so the refined possibilities have always always felt limiting to me Mm -hmm. because they're governed by sort of if you want to say norms that i'm not familiar with right you know it's well we can see that in your work can't we i mean we can see that there's a there's an intentional chaos in your photography but there is an underlying refinement because you're very purposeful about what you point that lens at in yeah. in spite of letting the chaos happen once you do point it yeah yeah no very very much that's very true you know and it's it, it's funny like part of me has looked at like these classic refined portraits and be like, I want to try to learn how to do that. But it feel if it, it very much feels like I'm trying to put on dress clothes, right? <laughs> like that, that, that you wear once a year. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, you're, you're putting on a tux to run the 440. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is this really a black tie event? Like, like, so, um, how do you think, and maybe you've never even done this as a, a kind of a thought experiment, do you think that your or how do you think your work or your approach to making work would be different had India not been in the mix for you as a child? Just that Amsterdam experience and then coming back to the US. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's that's so hard that's that's such a hard question because you know it's 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 baked into who I am. Mm-hmm. And, like, part of me feels that, like, you know, a lot of the work that I created wouldn't happen. Because, like, if you want to say a lot of the, a lot of that work is tying into those, those feelings of chaos, of color, of just, you know, if you're a little kid in a busy market and everything's just like that whirlwind around you, you know that in in some respects is my work Mm -hmm. it's interesting that it that it took and and correct me if i'm wrong because i don't know your entire history but it's interesting that it took basically decades for those feelings to manifest visually into your work was there a was there a previous body of work or previous bodies of work where we can see that in transition because i only i only know no. <laughs> okay 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's the the journey that you're familiar with is is 100 percent the those feelings sort of, you know, literally growing up into a, mm-hmm. a mature form. Yeah. Those those internal feelings externalized kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you know, prior to anything else, you know, I was. You know, like I, it's funny, like I almost feel that my, like, if I was going to guess, if I was just living in Amsterdam, I'd probably be a black and white street photographer, Hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. that classic Mm -hmm. European, you know, style, you know, that's, that's the, that's the visual representation of that experience. Right. High contrast, crushed shadows. Exactly. You know, walking in and out of those those narrow streets with tall, you know, tall buildings. And then you get those shafts of light coming through at different periods of time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and very much, um, I'm drawn to that work. Yeah. It's interesting because you, you do have that, that work does definitely resonate with you as a viewer, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that in practice, I think you, you keep coming back to the chaos. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. And, and like, I, and like, I think we, I think in past conversations, we talked about this where like, you know, part of my journey and my work is to surprise myself where like, yeah, yes, there's an element of surprise in street photography where you're like, wow, I didn't know I captured that split expression. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's more of uh, see, visualizing the the shot and then taking that picture. Right. And then did you get it or did, didn't you? Did you not, like there's not a where like I would come back from shooting 10 rolls of film and be like, I literally have no idea what I have or don't have. Right. Right. You know, there's there's such a level of surprise there that you're like, you know, if these are the greatest 10 rolls ever or blank, those are both within the realm of possibility. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> I'm going to flip this coin and land on one. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, and even even when when you were considering getting into portraiture more seriously, you couldn't just approach it as, here, sit down in front of this camera and I'm going to make your portrait. You had to come at it from the standpoint of, okay – I'm going to make this large format wet plate camera because there has to be some chaos within this refinement. Oh, yeah. There has to be the potential for dramatic failure within this sort of controlled, lit, posed experience. Fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Part of it is, I mean, this might be, (laughs) I qualify myself a lot, but. I think on a fundamental standpoint, I like I'm boring. So like I, I like (laughs) John, no, but like to me, when there's someone in front of my camera, but like I, there are people that can get these looks and these expressions that like are captivating. Mm hmm. And I've yet to ever get anything close to that. And so 
part of me just goes, okay, let, let me, let me use my ability to tolerate <laughs> abject failure <laughs> and just, or encourage just, it as the case yeah, is or often. Encur- yeah. 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 But like, let me lean into this part where I can't control the outcomes. Right. And then, then it's a matter. It, then it becomes me plus chaos equals a photo, or equals art. Far more, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that equation is way more comfortable to, for me than the guy who has, you know, no disrespect, but like, I, you know, I I have a studio. I have my light setups. I know exactly what right the photo does. Like. You you could never be Dan Winters. No, no. And like that makes me so much more uncomfortable than me going, I have no idea if this will show up. Right, out or right, right, right. But as a viewer, you have massive respect for the Dan Winters type photographers of the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's not that you're casting that technique or those t- types of it's not it's not like you're dismissing perfection it's just not interesting to you as a as a maker yeah yeah Yeah. no in in some ways i'm almost more impressed by the people who can get who can create these amazing portraits because it's something that like i i've yet to figure it out Mm -hmm. you know like to me that is such a refined expression of two individuals, the person taking the picture and the person sitting in front of them, that to me there is zero margin of error between the two. And it's this pure distillation of that moment. And and so like I have profound respect for the people that can pull that off. You know, it's, it's one of those where they're like, you know, I have yet to achieve anything close to that in that, in that endeavor, you know, I'm way more comfortable going, you know, I'm going to go as fast as possible off this ramp and hope I don't break every bone in my body, artistically speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Disclaimer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did it way. This more is neither an world. endorsement nor a suggestion to break every bone in your body. <laughs> I mean, as a younger kid, I did it more literal than right, figuratively, right, right, right. much to the dismay of my parents. Right, but yeah, yeah, you are you are definitely a friend to chaos. Oh yeah, yeah, you know that to me. That's where that's where. You know, and we've we've talked about this as potential topic in the future, but just risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know that that's where I'm comfortable when I like you know it. If you if you go okay, I need you to do X and deliver Y. That's I'm I hate it. I've shot a couple of my friends' weddings, and I don't like the experience at all because I've there's a defined deliverable. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's a defined expectation that doesn't leave a lot of room 
for chaos, that doesn't leave a lot of room for accidents, happy or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where you live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, we've had plenty of discussions between our two styles where you, you love to know all the variables, you know, and control all the outputs. Yeah, but the train still goes careening off the tracks, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I can know where the rails and the switches are, but we're still going to go through a warehouse wall at some point. Yeah, and then it turns into me trying to tell you to hit the accelerator <laughs> off the ramp instead of the brake. Sur- <laughs> it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah, your problem was you didn't catch in enough air. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, ramp. yeah. <laughs> Well, we're at about an hour. You want to you wanna call it here? We'll come back again. Yeah. This was a fun one. Thanks, man. Oh, I'm glad. I hope it wasn't too uh, invasive of your childhood. No, no, I don't care. <laughs> I'm an open book when it comes to that. You know, it's the only the only question is me trying to think of these deep questions off the top of my head. You know what, though? But that's I think that's what you and I do really well is is give each other room and doodle yeah no you it's those it's those trying to find the words that makes it feel human Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it draws people in subscribe to in between in your favorite podcast app or get every episode of in between along with my other shows iterations and process driven all in one feed by subscribing to jeffrey sidoris everything you can find John on Instagram at John Wilkening, that's J-O-N-W-I-L-K-E-N-I-N-G, or by visiting his website at johnwilkening.com. Connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sadoris, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on my website at jeffreysadoris.com. If you've got questions or feedback or maybe an interesting idea for an upcoming show, email me at talkback at jeffreysedoris.com. I'd love to hear from you. You can support the shows by telling a friend or by sharing them on social media. If you'd like to support the work I do more directly, buy a copy of my book, Photography by the Letter. You'll find it on my website. I'll be back in a week or so with another show, and I hope you'll join me. Until then, as always, thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you on the next one.